Good morning. Well, hello. Welcome to this live stream. Um, thank you, Nathaniel and Emma. This is actually the last time that we're going to see Nathaniel and Emma publicly until January. Emma is 37 weeks pregnant and uh, due to have a baby thus any moment in the next few weeks. And uh, tied in with that, Nathaniel's going to take some paternity leave and actually a little bit of extended time, a kind of mini sabbatical. So he'll be having a bit of a rest from his normal leadership responsibilities in church as well as from his uh, normal responsibilities at work. So this is the last time we'll see them until January. So thanks, guys. We have just finished our Why Bother series, and between now and Christmas, we don't have another series planned, partly because of the uncertainty of the time, but also we just felt at this time it would be good to uh, just respond kind of week by week to how we feel God is leading us as preachers. And so um, this morning I'm doing a message called Rejoicing in Lament, which is uh, really inspired by this book called Rejoicing in Lament by Todd Billings. I read this earlier in the year, and I found it really helpful thinking about this theme of how we rejoice in lament. Um, Todd Billings is a theology teacher. He was diagnosed with incurable cancer at the age of 39, and this book relates how he processed and, and has been dealing with that reality, and I found it very helpful. And this, this is a time for us to... Lament. Uh, as a church, we should feel real grief that we are being kept from gathering at this time. Uh, earlier this week, a group of faith leaders led by the Anglican and Catholic Archbishop sent a very strongly worded letter to the government uh, protesting the fact that churches have been shut down. They made some very powerful points about the reality that churches have been diligent in our COVID-19 secure measures about the importance of public worship, not only for churches, but actually for the health of society as a whole and how public worship is so essential as a sign of hope in a time when there doesn't seem to be much hope. Now, we should lament at where we are at, the fact that we are being kept from gathering together, that things are not as they should be. Be. And it's not just the impact upon the church, of course, it's all the other stuff which you might be lamenting at this time. If you're not able to see your children or your grandchildren or whatever else it might be that you're kept from doing at this time, then that might be a cause of lament for you, and it should be. And of course, today is Remembrance Sunday. And this is a day actually of, in a sense, national lament when every year we think about great events in our history. We think about extraordinary sacrifice and loss of life, and we can rejoice at good things that have come from that, but we also lament at the reality of that loss and sacrifice. So today is an appropriate day to think about lament. Now, as we get into this, we need to see that lamenting is not the same as grumbling. When we were coming out of the previous lockdown, we did a series called Out of the Wilderness, in which we were looking at the experiences of the Israelites uh, coming out of Egypt into the wilderness and then into the promised land. And we saw in that series again and again the dangers of grumbling. Grumbling actually is unbelief. Grumbling is what we do when things aren't working out and we stop trusting God. Now, lament is different from grumbling. Actually, Biblically speaking, lament is a cry of belief. Lament is what we do when we do trust God, even though nothing seems to be working out 
as we think it should. In this book, Todd Billings gives a helpful illustration of this. He says this, When I was in seminary, I had a friend who was a chaplain at a children's hospital, and he told me about a nurse who was facing what we might call compassion burnout. She wanted to help people. Perhaps, like many today, she wanted to try to change the world. But instead, she found herself going into one hospital room after another, providing care for young children with terminal illnesses. They were not likely to live more than a few years at most. What good was this doing? Was this really changing the world? In a sense, the nurse was facing a different version of Satan's question to the Lord in the book of Job. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan was probing. Would Job fear God even if God had not blessed the work of his hands? For the nurse, the question was, would she serve the sick for nothing? Or would she serve them only if her work resulted in the blessing and the positive outcomes that she desired? Would she care for those in need even if it didn't change the world? Even if she couldn't extend the lives of these terminally ill children? Christians who seek to serve those in deep need face the question again and again, is it worthwhile to pour out our lives when our efforts don't seem to do any good? We might feel that we're in that kind of position right now. Are our efforts producing anything good? Why bother? Why bother to, bother to do anything at this time? Let's look some more at that question which Satan asks of the Lord about Job. It's in the book of Job, Job chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Satan appears before the Lord and says this, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. It's a powerful challenge, a powerful question that Satan brings to the Lord about Job. Is Job's belief genuine? Is Job's love for God actually conditional? Is it more about if things are going well, if the business is doing well and the family is doing well, then Job will trust God? Or is there more to it than that? Will Job, when push comes to shove, begin to grumble? That's a question for us too. Do we trust God when life is working and when it's not? Now, the story goes on and Job is put to the test. The Lord hands power to Satan to put Job to the test. And Job loses everything. His business swept away. His children killed. Everything gone. Everything lost. And he has no furlough scheme to fall back on and no NHS to provide him with care. But at first, his response is positive, and he makes an amazing statement of faith. Job 1.21, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. There's no grumbling from Job at this point. Actually, there's 
not even any lament. He just seems to accept it. It's actually almost fatalistic. But then things get worse because Job having hope somehow with the tragic loss he's experienced, Satan pushes things a little bit further and is given permission to make it even more personal. And we're told in chapter 2 verse 7 that Job was afflicted with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Now, just one painful sore can make life miserable. If you have a, a sore, even just a blister on your foot, that can make life miserable. If you have a sore on the crown of your head, that can make life miserable. But Job had sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. His whole body was covered in sores, and he sat in the ashes, picking at the scabs with a broken piece of pottery. It's a picture of absolute destitution. And it leads to one of the most interesting marital exchanges in Scripture, and also, again, one of the greatest statements of faith in Scripture. Job chapter 2, verse 9, his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Should we accept good from God and not trouble? Now, this is an incredibly powerful response that Job makes to his wife's seemingly sensible suggestion. And actually, it's incredibly fortifying in times of trouble. I've known many believers kind of latch onto this verse in times of trouble and, and, yeah, and, and grasp it as an anchor. Should we not trust God? Should we accept good from God and not trouble? And... It's a flint-headed response. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep bashing through this. I'm trusting God. Whether good comes or bad comes, God hasn't changed. It's a, a faith that isn't conditional upon material circumstances. And, and Job is right that to curse God, to grumble, is foolish. It is. But what we see then is that things begin to change, and Job doesn't start grumbling, but he does begin to lament. He actually does begin to complain. And as we get into chapter 3, we see Job's mouth opening and the lament beginning to come out. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, only turmoil. Job's lament gives words to all our laments. If you've experienced anxiety or fear or worry or depression, maybe you're experiencing those things at the moment because of this moment. All of that finds expression in Job's lament. He wishes that he'd never been born. Things have got that bad. And you know, this lament of Job's is helpful to us. 
It shows us that actually it's okay to lament. Actually, more than that, sometimes it is necessary to lament. Now, our bias as a church is towards praise. Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And when we gather together, that's our normal desire to run quickly into the praises of God. And again and again, what we find is that praise makes things right. As we come into God's presence and worship him, that sets things right. And it's the right thing to do. But there are times when we shouldn't bypass lament. Actually, as we read the Psalms, Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. If you read through the Psalms, actually, there is more lament in the Psalms than praise. And it's so important, again, for us to see the distinction between lament and grumbling. Lament is a godly pouring out of our sorrows to God, whereas grumbling is a sinful articulation of our moans. Tor Billings says this, As strange as it sounds, prayers of lament in a biblical pattern are actually a form of praise to God and an expression of trust in his promises. But some Christians wonder how it could be faithful to complain to God. What about Paul's admonition to rejoice in the Lord always in Philippians 4.4? Why should Christians lament after all if God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ? Isn't it possible for lament to be a sign of unfaithfulness, self-pity, and ingratitude? The answer he gives is that in the Psalms and also in the story of Job, what we see is that praise, petition, and lament are all tightly woven together. Some verses I've been coming back to regularly over the last few weeks are from Psalm 94, where it says, Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? You know, that's a Statement of lament, everything seems to be going wrong, and who is on my side? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. What's that? Well, that's a statement of trust. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. What's that? Well, it's praise. You see, lament and trust and praise all tightly intertwined. It isn't grumbling empty of trust. It's an expression of lament which is full of praise and faith. The New Testament speaks to this as well. Romans 8, 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God spirit filled and inspired prayers can be groans prayers of laments actually express trust in God because they are prayers asking God to act and we should pray like this when circumstances make it look as if the promises of God are not true. Prayers of lament give God the challenge to be who he promises to be. And this is what Job does in his laments. 
for Job, it looks like God has forgotten who he is. Where is God? We get to Job 23 and Job says this, even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling. Where is God? Where is this God who I've believed in? Where is a God who has told me what he's like? Why are things not as they should be if God is who he says he is? And then when we get to the end of the book of Job, chapter after chapter of Job's lament and of the mixed blessings of his comforting or not-so-comforting friends, finally God appears. And when God appears, he doesn't give Job any answers. He doesn't explain why Job has had to go through all that he has gone through. And that's the question which Job wants answered. It's the question that we want answered. Why has this happened? It's the question of evil. Why do bad things happen? Why do evil things happen to good people? But God doesn't explain the problem of evil to Job or to us. Actually, in the end, God's answer is himself. We get to Job 38 and we have this. The Lord spoke to Job. Out of the storm, he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And so God goes on for four chapters, not answering Job's question, but just showing Job how little He really knows. We want to know why. And God answers, it is beyond the limits of human understanding. That might be hard for us to take. Todd Billings illustrates it like this. God speaking to Job from the whirlwind was a gracious act of mercy, a bit like Einstein taking time out to explain the theory of general relativity to his beagle. Einstein knows that the beagle has not a prayer of understanding the true explanation, so Einstein gives the faithful beagle what he does need and can, in fact, comprehend a reality check. You are a beagle, he says with admirable patience. I am a brilliant scientist. I love you enough to take time out for this little talk, but you must know you're out of your league. When we come to God with our questions, our laments, we need to recognize that we are out of our league. Now, we might very well feel that about the people who are making big decisions about our country at this time, but actually it is true of us all. God's ways are higher than ours. So, what do we do in response to this? What do we do in response to the example of Job and the laments of the Psalms? What do we do in response to the realities of life at the moment with all the things which would rightfully cause us to lament and, if we're not careful, could cause us to grumble? What do we do? Well, we rejoice. 
That's the right thing to do. It is right to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise because of what Christ has done. We have free access into the courts of God Most High and the new creation, the promise of all that's to be is being birthed in the people of God. But we also lament as we wait for Christ to be revealed. This world is full of sin and it is full of pain. We live in a world in which 39-year-old theology professors get cancer and in which people who we love die and in a world where people do unspeakable things to one another and a world where pandemics can sweep the earth and where wars can rage. And in this world we can feel like Job did and we can lament like Job did. We can say, as Job did, where, God, are you in this? But in the end, we're to trust. This is uh, how Todd Billings finishes his book. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Christ is our life now in hiddenness. And Christ will be our life then in open glory. It will be clear to all that God is bigger than cancer and all of our other calamities. Thus, whether we find ourselves in the darkness of the present time or the glorious light of the coming age, this good news is enough to bring us through. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray, and the band will come back up and lead us in worship again. Jesus, thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul, life and death, to you. Thank you that we can pour out our laments before you, that at times it is right to do that, and This day feels like the right day to pour out our laments before God. But we choose to do that rather than to grumble. We choose to believe rather than to stop believing. We choose to trust rather than saying, why bother? We choose again to put our hope in you. And even as we lament, we know that we can rejoice. We know that you are the God who is true to your words, true to yourself, and that you will hold us safe and secure for all times. I pray, Lord, I pray those watching now at home, I pray you would minister to us. I pray those who do feel anxiety, those who feel cast down, those who are questioning, thinking, why bother? I pray, Spirit of God, that you would come and bring encouragement and resolve, something of that flint-like attitude which Job displayed. And you would help us to bring, yes, our petitions, our laments, and our praise to you and know your grace at work in our lives. In your name I ask it. Amen.